Hello, I'm Brad Riley, and you're listening to Forming the Spirit Within, a podcast where you'll find such things as in-depth Bible studies, some classes I teach on a variety of spiritual matters, as well as some conversations I want to have with you and others along the way, all of which I hope will inspire you to a deeper life in Jesus Christ. In his second Corinthian letter, St. Paul the Apostle described our lives as a process of transformation that comes to us by looking full into the face of Jesus, and as we behold His glory, we are transformed into His glorious likeness in ever-increasing measure. What an amazing thought! that we can be transformed into the very glory of Jesus. That is my prayer for you, that in some small way this podcast will help you in your transformation from glory into even greater glory, as Christ forms His Spirit within you. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and not only listen, but join in on the conversation with a question or a comment. Thanks so much for listening, and may the Lord be with you. Well, good morning, everyone, or afternoon or evening or whatever time it is when you're watching this uh, video, uh, watching around the world or watching it later on on a broadcast. It is great to be in Bible study with you live. So those of you that are going to be coming in, uh, Mike, it's good to see you joining us. Uh, Really excited that you're here today. We are continuing our Bible study in the Gospel of Luke. Today is part three of chapter one. And I'm just pumped up and excited about this particular study because we're going to really delve in to talking about the real foundation, the essence and bedrock of the Christian faith. So uh, thanks for joining us, uh, those of you who can join us now. And I hope you, you know, if you haven't gotten a cup of coffee or something, go ahead and take a moment to get one. We'll dive in in just a a few minutes. I'm, I'm drinking my coffee today in my Phil Robertson Happy, Happy, Happy mug. So... Some days you just kind of want to look out and say, hmm, I'm glad to be reminded. Life is happy, happy, happy. So even in the middle of a quarantine uh, and all the craziness that's happening in our world right now, I mean, just life as we knew it has changed so much. Uh, we, we have to remind ourselves uh, that you know God is still with us. We're still here. The gospel is still true. And we can be happy, happy, happy. So thanks to Phil Robertson for reminding me. Today's coffee is brought to you by the Crazy Cups. Again, like I did last week, uh, today's flavor is oatmeal cookie. Doesn't that sound good? Fresh. It has the, the aroma of fresh oatmeal cookies. We need smell-o-vision on our phones, don't we? Uh, great to see you, Debbie and, and Judith and Rhonda. Thanks for dropping in here. We're going to... Uh, Invite you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to be starting just a minute here in verse 26. I'm going to look at a fairly lengthy passage. These narrations, as Luke gives them to us, are pretty lengthy and hard to break them up, but we're going to do our best to get through, uh, I think, through verse 45. We want to get up to Mary's song. We won't cover Mary's song, the Magnificat, today, but we want to try and get through that. Um, but there's so much to say, I don't know if we'll get through it all. If we don't, we'll go next week. But let me let me offer an apology to those of you who catch this up on audio podcast. I accidentally, when I reached over here to my computer, I have my laptop right here, recording this audio-wise on QuickTime. And it's kind of a funny little window. It's just a really tiny little window right there. 
and I accidentally hit the wrong button to close it, and it went out of it completely and didn't save it. So now I've been told there's a way to recover lost audio, lost files, unsaved files that are autosaved because it's a Mac computer. But I don't know how to do that yet. I've struggled all last night trying to figure it out so I could get episode two or part two up on the podcast. Um, hopefully I'll be able to, if some of you know how to do that on a Mac computer, I know there are ways to, uh, to get back in there and get those lost files uh, that weren't saved properly. Then I would love to recover that because we had an incredible time last week. Uh, just a, just a great discussion looking at Luke chapter one, part two, and the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Jim Ann, thanks for joining us from down in Udall. We're glad to have you on today. Um, so I'll keep working on getting part two up to the podcast. But today it's running, it's right there, and I'm going to be extremely careful. I did that one other time, the very first time I used it, which was the last part of the book of First Thessalonians. The day we went live on Facebook with Bible study was the last part of the book of Second Thessalonians in our study of First and Second Thessalonians. So I uh, lost it too. Uh, you would think after once I wouldn't have made that mistake, but it's, it's a pretty easy button to miss. So sorry about that. Let's continue to take a, a look at uh, today's. You got your Bibles open, Luke chapter one, got your cup of coffee, you're ready to go. And Beverly, thank you. It's good to see you on there. And uh, you're welcome, Judith. I see a comment thanking me for doing this. You know, I'm really excited to do this. I love uh, Bible Study Live. It's added a whole new dimension to bring in people that weren't able to just go to the class on Thursday mornings at 11. And, and I want to invite you, just let me take a moment right now, invite you to interact. You can type a question. I may not read it as I miss some names that go by, but I'll do my best. But I will read it afterwards, and I will answer it. But, but let's get a discussion going. The Facebook page, Brad Riley Ministries Facebook page, is a page where you can go and just ask a question. You can, uh, there, there are no dumb questions, okay? And let's face it, the only way we learn in life is by asking questions. That's what we do. We ask questions of the Scripture. We, we look at the context of what it is that God gave us and how He gave it to us and when He gave it to us and what was going on when he gave it to us. And we ask a lot of questions in order to really understand what the scriptures mean. So with that, uh, if you have your prayer cards, grab your prayer cards. If you're new today and you don't have one, you can get this on the photos on Brad Riley Ministries page. If you look under photos, you'll see this prayer. You can print it out, uh, read it off your screen, whatever. It's a beautiful prayer. Dates all the way back to the fourth century from a, a, a bishop of Constantinople, the patriarch of Constantinople. His name was John Chrysostom. And uh, this is an adapt, my adaption of his prayer. I didn't actually know it was his when I wrote the words just slightly differently. I just saw it and tried to make it just a little more modern, but, uh, but it's es the essence is all still there from his prayer. So I love this prayer. This is my heart as we study God's word together. So if you have it with you, Let's just pray it together, okay? Let's, let's offer our hearts to the Lord. Illumine our hearts, O master lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. 
For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise together with our Father, who is from everlasting and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thanks for praying that with me uh, and asking the Lord to just enlighten our time. We always want to do that. This Bible, this Bible study is not about me. Hi, Valerie. Thanks for joining us. This is not about me. It's about my passion to study and teach and preach the Word of God, but it's not about me. Um, I'll give you my opinion, and when I'm given an opinion, I'll, I'll let you know it's my opinion. But often, the, the things that I'm digging into here are found in the earliest Christian writings. I'll be reading today from the early, ancient Christian commentary on Scripture. Much of the commentaries I use in preparation are ancient writings. The earliest Christians, what did they think? What did they teach? The faith, as, as Jude says in Scripture, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I want to know how it was originally delivered. And let's see how it's been adapted through the years and whether those adaptations are real or whether they're false. Uh, because let's face it, there's been a lot of false teachings throughout history in Christianity. But yet there is a church. There is one church that Christ has always been within his Holy Spirit that is his body and whose teaching is pure. And we want to strive to always find those pure teachings. So let's look at the scripture right now and let's begin Luke chapter one with verse 26. And now we're going to read about the Annunciation, Angel Gabriel's announcing to Mary that she will become the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. God made flesh. Wow. Okay, let's read together. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how shall this be since I have no husband? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing is impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be according to me, according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leapt or leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to the Lord. Wow. Let's, uh, let's go back now to the beginning. It's a long passage to read. There, don't worry, we're going to break it down. And there's so much that could be talked about in here. We'll, we'll not get to it all. Uh, everything that could be taught here. Uh, Pam, hi. It's good to see you watching with us and listening in. But, but let's begin with this thought. I, I said in one of my promo videos yesterday leading up to this in a couple of of uh, posts. I really want us to discuss and look at the doctrine. I'm going to I'm going to call it the dogma of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That is is essential to this passage. It's essential to understanding it is essential to the Christian faith. And I'll get into why that is in in just a little bit. But let's start with this. I did a little scientific, unscientific poll, sorry, before I started this morning about a half an hour ago. And, and I just said, how many of you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? And everybody's chiping in there, yes, we do. Probably because my list of friends are pretty strong, uh, pretty strong Christian, Bible Christians, and, and really know their stuff. And so nobody yet, I think, had taken me to task and said, no, of course I don't believe in that. But here's the, here's the fact. The facts show us that many in our time, in our age today, the culture we live in, no longer teach the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now, that is shocking to me. I hope it's shocking to you. But the truth is, uh, we we, we want to try and understand why that is. Uh, Because as we read this scripture and as we kind of exegete it and take it apart and look at some of the words and what they mean, I think you'll see that's the only way to look at it. The only thing that makes the story of Jesus Christ real and true is the virgin birth. Jacob, thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning. So if you don't, if you, somebody joining us or listening to this later on, if you're one of the believers in Jesus that does not believe in the virgin birth, I'm going to encourage you to keep an open mind. I want you to listen to what this says. I want you to pursue a little deep thinking on this, and, and maybe you'll change your mind. Uh, I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm not here to condemn you. You have a right to your own opinion. But I do want to teach what I believe Scripture clearly teaches and why I believe it's true. So let's start out with the first, in the very first two verses, we see Luke is very careful to call Mary a virgin twice, twice. In the sixth month, it says he came to a virgin who was betrothed. And then he says, follows it right up and says, betrothed to a man named Joseph in the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. He's using that word virgin, that, that uh, adjective, very carefully and very importantly. Now, let's stop and talk for just a minute about, uh, I think I got a little reverb going on here. Let me turn that down on my audio recording. Let's talk carefully about this idea that Mary was already betrothed to Joseph, what what does that mean to us? That's a very important, uh, it's a very important thought, because in the Jewish world, in the context of the ancient world, betrothed was like 
kind of like today what we would call being engaged, but it was much more serious. In fact, it was law. A betrothed couple, sometimes the word could be used espoused, they were considered uh, united, even though not formally married yet. Hey, Brother Brock, thanks for joining us. Even though they weren't formally married, they were espoused so much so that the law said if the man died, the woman was a widow. The, the law also said the only way to get out of this espoused, betrothed relationship was to actually go through a divorce. So it was not simple that, that Joseph could just say, oh, well, wow, Mary's all of a sudden pregnant, going to drop her. It didn't work that way. Number one, Joseph was a very holy man and wouldn't think that way. And we're going to learn as we read and study more in this book that, that God visited him and reassured him of the truth of the virgin birth, because Joseph and Mary knew they were pure. Joseph knew that he had not had relations with Mary, and Mary knew that he hadn't had relations with her. So there's a reason for this careful adjective and this word uh, virgin is being used so often. Now, in verses 28 uh, through uh, 30, we, we hear some really familiar words for some of us. Um, if, if you've ever heard the Catholic prayer, that is, it's a famous, we call it a Catholic prayer, the Hail Mary. Uh, I know some of you might think that just refers to a, a long bomb football pass, <laughs> but it's, it's like a prayer thrown up for a last minute thing. But the Hail Mary is a real prayer in the Catholic faith. I don't know the origin of when it was written or by who it was written uh, in, in the form of a, hey, let's start using this as a prayer. But the elements of the prayer are actually written in scripture. Uh, the, the prayer, it goes like this, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's taken right out of the Gospel of Luke. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Now, we haven't, we haven't got there yet, but we just read that. That's Elizabeth's words back to Mary. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And then it goes on, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Now, we don't have time to get into the whole gamut of, of uh, saints praying for us, uh, but I, I, I will say this. Um, Keep an open mind on that because the truth is scripture speaks very openly about the fact that there are uh, the saints of heaven with golden bowls full of incense praying for us. Um, so uh, again, don't have time to get into that. Great point for discussion. If you want to type it up a question though, uh, we can get to it on the Facebook page. Now, he here's what I want you to hear. The angel is saying to Mary, you're highly favored of God. You're blessed among women. What does that mean? This word hail, first of all, it's from the Greek word kairo, kairo, which means uh, to rejoice greatly. So he's not just saying, hi, Mary. Hey, it's me, Gabriel. He's saying, Mary, rejoice greatly. You are highly favored. This is an incredible thing here. And so Mary responds with this Greek word. In, in, it just says in here, she's greatly troubled at what this might mean, considering it in her mind what this might mean. The Greek word here is, is a, a little more, uh, a little, oh, I had a request once to spell my Greek words. So, Cairo, C-H-A-I-R-O, okay? Uh, that means the hail, hail, rejoice. Uh, the, Mary's, the word used here in the Greek that Mary uses is diaterasso, diaterasso, okay? D-I-A-T-A-R-A-S-S-O, diaterasso. And that literally means troubled in her thought process, in her emotions, okay? 
Rhonda made a comment, just like our family and friends are praying for us. Exactly. Great comment, Rhonda. When I talked about the saints praying for us, the saints of heaven, hey, it's just like you're praying for me and I'm praying for you. I believe they're praying for us. Now, um, Diaterasso, she's, this is an emotional thing. I mean, wouldn't that be a startling thing to be greeted by an angel? Of course it would. And we talked about last week how Zechariah was overwhelmed at this vision, uh, this greeting from the angel. But the angel immediately tells her, Mary, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Over and over, Scripture encounters us. God is always encountering us, telling us, do not be afraid. He says, because you found favor with God. That's a fascinating, fascinating thought, that she has found favor with God. Um, how do you find favor with God? Well, in some sense, we've all found favor with God because we are his holy creation. Humanity is created in the image of God. Born, We're born now. Adam and Eve were created. Human beings carry within them the stamp, the indelible, unerasable, or whatever you want, word you want to use. Can't get rid of it. The image of God, deep imprinted on our soul. That means every human life ever born and that ever will be born is sacred and holy to God, and he loves us. He loves everyone. So his favor is, is for everyone. You know, his, his favor rests upon us uh, in that sense. But in, in to Mary, the, the, word, the word here for favor with Mary is kairis, okay? Kairis. It's, it's kind of like that Cairo comes from the same root word, C-H-A-R-I-S, and it literally means grace. For God has graced Mary He's given her his grace in a very special way because she's about to conceive his very son, second person of the Holy Trinity. God made flesh in a miraculous, uh, miraculous virgin birth. You know, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, so we want to, now don't confuse, I almost said the word in an immaculate conception. It's a miraculous, it's a miraculous conception, but do not confuse the word immaculate conception. That's a doctrine of Roman Catholicism that deals with Mary's conception, which we really don't have time to get into today. I'll never get through all this, of what they believe about Mary's conception. Um, but suffice it to say, we're talking about Jesus' conception here. So uh, it's, a it's a miracle. It's, it's a virgin birth. It's a, it's a conception by the Holy Spirit. So let's look a little deeper in what it says about this. First of all, he says, you will conceive in your womb a son and you shall call his name Jesus. So right there, Ellen, hi, thanks for joining us today. His name is Jesus. In the Greek, Iesus. In the Hebrew, Yeshua, which in English is not Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is Spanish, of course. It's, it's Joshua. Joshua would be the way, in the Old Testament, when you see the name Joshua, it's the same word. It's the same Hebrew word, Yeshua. Uh, and that's the, word, that's the name that God, it's, it's this it's name that means he's, he's chosen of God, you know. Um, and it goes on to say, this, he will be grace. Talking about Jesus, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. 
and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Clearly, clearly, the angel is telling Mary, this is the Messiah. You're going to give birth to the Messiah, because only the Messiah is prophesied to reign forever with no, king, with no end to his kingdom from the throne of David. And so Mary gives this amazing response. Um, she says, and remember Zechariah's response. Zechariah's response was, uh, was, you know, he questioned, how can this, you know, in his heart he questioned, how can this be? Uh, Mary looks and she says, she has a question also, but somehow we know her spirit is different, and we'll see why. Mary says, how should this be since I have no husband? Now, in your English version, the one I'm reading, the RSV, says, have no husband. Yours might say, how can this be since I am a virgin? I want us to look at the Greek. Okay, I'm going to give you the sentence structure in the Greek because it, it flows differently. Uh, and and it's, it's, you can see why Greek is so hard to translate to English because the, the sentences flow differently. But here's what it literally says in the Greek, okay? It says, how will be this since a man... Not I know. How will be this since a man not I know? So this idea of not knowing a man is, is what we want to focus in on. It's not about the word virgin. That's a different word. Luke used that word, remember, twice in the first two verses. Parthenos, P-A-R-T-H-E-N-O-S. Parthenos literally meant a virgin, a woman who was a virgin, okay? So this is different. This is the word that she used instead of I have no husband, or I am a virgin, as English says there. The actual Greek word here is ginosko. Ginosko. G-I-N-O-S-K-O. Ginosko. And that literally means to know someone in intimacy. To know someone in intimacy. Or to know them through the most intimate way, which would be Sexual relations through sexual union. Now, that has always been true of Scripture, not just here. This isn't a new concept that Mary's coming up with. That's the culture. That's the way God's people talked. We can go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 25, and we hear it says of Adam, and Adam, so Adam again knew his wife. There's that word know, okay? Uh, since Mary says, since I've not known a husband. Uh, that no in the Hebrew of Genesis 4.25, Old Testament Hebrew, is the word yada, yada, Y-A-D-A, yada. And it literally means to know intimately and to have relations, okay? So this concept is very clear. Mary is proclaiming herself. She's a virgin. Clearly, she's a virgin. Now, so if we don't believe in the virgin birth, we, uh, we're calling Mary a liar, okay? And that's problematic right there. Uh, not to mention a whole host of other problems. And so Mary, but Mary does have a question, how can this be? I mean, that is a natural question. But I think she's, we see that she's asking it from a different place than Zechariah was. His was doubt, this can't, you know, God, you're kidding, that can't happen. Mary is encountering God in faith, honestly asking, how can this be? Tell me, Lord. 
What, what could this mean? And so the, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There's some words there that we want to stop and take apart, okay? To come upon you is the Greek word epercomai, epercomai, E-P-E-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. Now, that literally translates, it's, it's a fascinating word, it literally translates and oftentimes is used in New Testament as the word attack, okay? Now, we don't want to see any violence here. God's not attacking Mary with his Holy Spirit. But it literally means to so come upon, and then that word come upon, uh, you, you know, it, it, it literally speaks to what's happening to Mary becomes the epicenter, epercomai. The epicenter of something is what? It's where the very action is taking place. Okay, the epicenter, that you, that's the E-P-I in the beginning. It's from this Greek word, epikomai. What's happening? The action of God, okay, overshadowing Mary and coming upon her is the very center of what is happening, is creating this virgin, virginal conception, which issues in a virgin birth. That cannot be denied by the Greek scriptures and by the, by the affirmation of unanimity in the early church scholars. And I will say not even just early church scholars. You have to travel from the beginning of biblical times with Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ. You've you got to travel to the 20th century, the last the century we just, most of us were born in. You've got to travel to that century to really find Christian theologians, teachers, schools of thought, whatever you want to call them, denominations that don't believe in the virgin birth. You've got to go that far. This has always been a dogma of the Christian faith. What do I mean by the word dogma? Hey, Sharon, thanks for joining in. Yeah, the word dogma, uh, it's a little different than doctrine. You know, doctrine we can, we can maybe disagree over. It's what one group adapts and another one, and we... We look at things a little differently, but dogma, dogma is that which is to be universally believed. It has to be believed. And I'm telling you, I believe the virgin birth has to be believed. Now, I've got some things to support my, my talk here. I, I remember back when I was teaching a Sunday school class 25 years ago, probably, at least, maybe 30, um, eh, 25, 28. And, and I remember studying this, and, and, and I cannot, I don't have the source. We didn't have computers. We didn't have cell phones, all those things in that day. But, but uh, I was studying for the class, getting ready to teach, and some of the, I came across a study that showed that the majority, the majority of all the mainline Christian denominations in that time, by, and this was this, the study was taken in the late 1980s, okay? Stop for a happy, happy, happy moment here with my uh, oatmeal cookie coffee. Mm, wow, that's good. For the late 1980s, the study was that between two-thirds and three-fourths, depending on the denomination, of seminaries, okay, of these denominations. And these are denominations like Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Methodist, you know, major denominations. Two-thirds to three-fourths did not believe 
any longer or teach as fact or dogma the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Wow. I remember reading that going, oh my. I, I just couldn't believe it. This idea of, of a very liberalized, and liberal's not always a bad word, I'm not trying to get political, but this idea of liberalizing Christian theology really came into fruition, if you will, or into the mainstream in the first um, half to middle of the, really the middle of the 20th century. Um, things that had, had always been believed by Christians everywhere, dogmatically, were being called into question and thrown out. And I think some of that was because on the flip side of that coin, if we think of this coin, one side is liberal Christian philosophy. And uh, boy, I just got a low power mode on my phone. I hope this doesn't, I'm going to ask my wife who I know is listening to bring in my plug-in and we'll plug it in because I definitely don't want to lose you here on this. Um, so if you can do that, bring it in, Rhonda. Uh, Lenora Rogers. Hey, thanks for Lenora Rogers. Carrie, uh, I was excited to see you tune in there. Thanks. That's my cousin. Um, okay, so I was I was saying these doctrines that are called uh, dogmas, if you will, always believed by Christians, uh, began to be thrown out. I think because they're on the flip side of that, there were some uh, another group besides the liberal theologians, there were the fundamentalist theologians forming. Oh, thank you. Brooke brought it into me. Thanks a bunch, Brookie. Okay, let me plug this in. It's going to be a challenge to plug it in because it doesn't reach really well. I did it last week. Oh, right over there in that. Uh, okay, okay, bear with me here, everybody. I'm going to get this plugged in. guess I'll know to do that every week. I've been on the phone a lot this morning. And... Okay, we have power. Houston, we're back. Okay, we're not going to lose, lose anything now. Very good. All right, thanks. Thanks a bunch. Um, so, um, the, the fundamentalist viewpoints, they, they began to be, the fundamentalist movement took biblical uh, teachings and, and fundamentalized some of them in the way that, that they, were, uh, they were taken literally when some of them maybe shouldn't have been taken literally. So that raises a question. How do we know what to take literally in the Bible and what not to take literally? Are there metaphors in the Bible? Of course there are. Can metaphors have real true meanings? Absolutely they do. But, but we've got to know that's why we exegete the scripture. That's why we look at the context. And I'm going to do that with you today. You're going to see that this cannot be a metaphor. There must be a virgin birth. Um, and so here, let me give you some, some thoughts here, uh, just to kind of back up what I've said here. This was a poll taken in 1998. I tried to do a little research for you. A poll of 7,441 Protestant clergymen in the U.S. showed a wide variation in belief. The following ministers did not believe in the virgin birth. American Lutherans, 19%. American Baptists, 34%. Episcopalians, 44%. Presbyterians, 49%. Methodists, 60%. Ouch. Big groups of numbers of people in 1998, almost the end of the 20th century, uh, not believing in the virgin birth. Now, here's another disturbing statistic. Belief in the virgin birth drops markedly with increasing education. 
in 2003 survey showed this. Of people that believe in the virgin birth, or don't believe in the virgin birth, um, 84% of people with a high school or less education do believe in the virgin birth. 84% high school or less. 78% of adults with some college education, 78% believe in, do believe in the virgin birth. Of college graduates, numbers drop to 65% actually believe in the virgin birth. Of postgraduates, that means people went on to even higher education, maybe PhDs, masters, things like that. Only 60% believe in the virgin birth. That was in 2003. Alarming statistics that seem to show that the more educated we become, the more we maybe get puffed up in ourselves and think we can uh, question things that have always been held as true. Now, what's the danger in that? I'm not against education. I'm, I love to read. I love to study. I wish I had a bunch of degrees on my wall, but I don't. Uh, so, uh, but, but the problem is, this herein lies the rub between what I call the downfall of Western Christianity. What do I mean by Western Christianity? Western Christianity is the, began with the medieval Roman Catholic Church on through the Protestant Reformation. Okay, and if you're a Protestant today of any, of any uh, type, then you're part of Western Christianity, as are the Roman Catholics. But there is also another branch of Christianity called Eastern Christianity. Eastern Christianity, we would know them as Orthodox teaching. Hi, Ruth, thanks for joining in. The Orthodox Christians, Eastern Orthodox, or sometimes uh, they're, they're known by the term uh, Oriental Orthodox, and there's some, some differences in thought there. Um, but the idea is uh, sometimes they're known as Byzantine Catholics, even Eastern Catholics. I'll throw that in for my friend Mike Corrigan. Always reminds me, it's not just the Orthodox. There are Catholics that think in Eastern Christian ways. Um, what's the difference? In the West, as medievalism, by the medieval period, the West and the East were separating more and more and more, in, not only in their, in, their, uh, in their communion with one another, because the empire had moved from Rome to the east in Constantinople, the Byzantium. The, the Christian emperors moved, the first Christian emperor Constantine moved it there. And in, de, in doing so, Rome began to falter, Constantinople began to rise. Rome ends up finding itself barely surviving, being invaded by infidels and, and barbarians, and, and we find popes of Rome having to make deals with, uh, with all kinds of things just to keep the peace and to continue to build some kind of power and Byzantium is flourishing over here in the East. The West was a Latin culture. The East was a Greek culture. The scriptures were Greek. What happened, the, the, the bedrock of, of humanity was the Middle East. This is where the Mesopotamia area, this is where humanity comes from. And the way of thought in scripture, in the, in the Bible, in everything, the way of thought is an Eastern way of thought. And it's different than a Western way of thought. What developed in West began to be developed into what was called a scholastic method or the method of using reason and logic to explain everything. Now, that's not all bad. I'm not trying to put it down. But it'll only go so far in explaining the mysteries of God, things that can't be explained. What I'm saying is you and I can't explain the virgin birth, but we can believe it. Because 
who wants a God? Who wants a God that you can explain? I don't, I cannot explain to you the very nature of God. I can tell you that he's love. I can tell you that he's light. I can tell you that he's holy. Why can I tell you these things? Because it's revealed in his word and it's revealed in my spirit as he knows me and I learn to know him. But I can't explain his very essence to you. Uh, and I think this is another really strong dis- determination that was made in this really scholastic age in the 12, 13, 1400s. East and West, they started talking. You know, there was a great schism in the year 1054. And they lost communion with one another. And uh, each one ex- ex- uh, ex- excommunicated the other. But uh, in this communion that was lost, they, they began to talk in, the, in the, some, of the, some of the wars and some of the times that were troubling in those 12, 13, 1400s. And uh, of a great Eastern saint by the name of Gregory Palamas, he taught this. And I, I believe this with all my heart. We cannot know God in his essence. He's wholly unknowable. He's, he's God. We're just a creator. We're, we're just a creation, I mean, of the creator. But we can know God in his energies. So he, he determined there's a difference between God's essence and God's energies. And his energies are what we see. We see creation. We see ourselves. We see his, we feel his love. We feel his Holy Spirit. Um, so we, 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 Mary knew she was pregnant, impregnated by the Holy Spirit. That was his energies at work in her. And, and so I guess what I'm trying to say to you today is this is bedrock stuff. Cause here's what's at stake. If you see how I'm doing on time, it's 1140 already. Okay. I'm going to go clear up to the top of the hour. If you have to leave, I understand, but there's so much to talk about today. Um, you can catch up later on the broadcast, but, but here's, here's why this is bedrock stuff. Okay, let me read you a quote from uh, Ligonier Ministries. Now, Ligonier Ministries is, this is written by Albert Moeller three years ago. And Ligonier Ministries is the ministry of the late R.C. Sproul, who is a Reformed theology, great theologian of the Reformed theology. Now, I'm not a Reformed theological person. I'm a, a Wesleyan, uh, an Arminian Wesleyan in my theology. I'm much more Eastern in my thought and formation. But, uh, but of the Western, uh, Reformed theology is huge. Uh, Calvinism, Neo-Calvinism, there's many things there. It's, and there, that's a beautiful, there's many beautiful things about that teaching. I just don't agree with it all. But I agree with this. This is what he says. Albert Moeller says this. Must one believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian? It is conceivable that someone might come to Christ and trust Christ as Savior without yet learning the Bible teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin. A new believer is not yet aware of the full structure of Christian truth. The real question is this, can a Christian, once aware of the Bible's teaching, reject the virgin birth? The answer must be no. I'm asking you today, do you believe in the virgin birth? You're, you can't say you're not aware anymore because I'm giving you all kinds of facts and history here. Uh, and, 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 and Greek exegetical taking the scripture apart. Uh, you... So let me go on with Albert's thoughts here. He says, Matthew tells us that Mary and Joseph came together. That's that word of, of uh, being betrothed. Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Matthew's even saying by the Holy Spirit. This Matthew explains 
fulfilled what Isaiah promised, the great prophet of the Old Testament, Isaiah. And he said, quote, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's Isaiah chapter 9. So he says Luke provides even greater detail. That's what we're reading here, revealing that Mary was visited by an angel who explained to her that though a virgin, she would bear the divine child. The Holy Spirit, quote, will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. That's quoting Luke as we've read today. So he says, the last thought from, from Albert Moeller, even if the virgin birth was taught by only one biblical passage, that would be sufficient to obligate all Christians to the belief. We have no right to weigh the truthfulness of biblical teachings by their repetition in Scripture. We cannot claim to believe the Bible is the Word of God and then turn right around and cast suspicion on its teaching. So, and he raised that last point because several of the more modern theologians, one of the reasons they reject the virgin birth is because they feel they have become enlightened. That was, that was the thinking of a more ignorant time, a less knowledgeable time. Boy, that's an arrogant way to think right there. Um, and, and that the Bible doesn't really, the Apostle Paul doesn't speak about it, so therefore it must not have been important. It's really not important. Uh, so if you want to believe it as a metaphor, it's really a metaphor. You can believe it or not believe it. This is liberal theology today. And I'm concerned about that because if you take that stance, what you're really saying is the prophet Isaiah didn't know what he was talking about. Well, if he didn't know what he was talking about with the virgin birth, and if that didn't really come from the Holy Spirit, how do we trust that anything Isaiah said was to be prophesied? How can we trust that Jesus is even the Messiah? How can we trust anything? Well, there is some empirical evidence. The life of Christ speaks for itself. But we know the word of God is powerful. It is, as the Hebrew writer said, sharper than any two-edged sword. As Martin Luther said, it, it has hands and feet. It runs after me. That when we read the Word of God, as John Wesley said, it just it, it overwhelms us and, and we can begin to feel and know the Holy Spirit is with us. There's so much to the, that rides on this virgin birth that uh, I wanted to bring it out today as we study the Scripture. It's if you reject the virgin birth because you think you're enlightened in some way uh, and, and you think, oh, it's just metaphorical, uh, boy, be careful. You have, just, you have just thrown out the bedrock teachings that Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you the proof. The last proof is right here. You've just thrown out the bedrock foundational understanding of why Jesus is God. If he's only born of Joseph and Mary having sexual union, it could be a blessed thing. I mean, the birth of our children was a blessed thing. Man, I think it's a holy thing. But it doesn't make him God. The only thing that makes Jesus God is the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary in a miraculous, mystical event we can't understand, impregnating her to give birth to God-made flesh. And the core belief of Christianity is that Jesus is both God and man, the dual nature of Jesus Christ, God and man. Not 50-50, 100% God, 100% man. Mystical, mystery, hard to imagine, yes. But then again, I asked you earlier, 
Do you really want a God that you can fully comprehend? Do you really want to serve and believe and trust your future and your life to a God that's predictable so much so that you, you, you can understand him completely? Then he's really not God. Uh, he's really not almighty. He's really not all powerful. Well, let's look at the last few verses that we read today. Let's look, let's look to, in our closing minutes together. Let's look at the visitation. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, her cousin. And in verse 39, we see her, it says she went there with haste. She's excited. I mean, the angels told her that Elizabeth, who is much older than Mary, as beyond everybody's knowledge, has always been barren, beyond childbearing years, is having a baby, and she's already six months pregnant. Mary can't wait to get there. It says she went there with haste. And uh, it says when she gets there, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. Okay, when Mary walked in and said, hello, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, it's me, Mary. It says, the baby leaped in her womb. Well, if you're a woman and you've been pregnant before, you know babies kick and do things. But this is a word here. This is a very important word here. This leaped, okay. Uh, A leap isn't a little kick. It's a big kick. It's a big jump. And and we're going to take apart the word in just a minute. And it says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So she exclaimed with a loud cry, and that word, that loud cry there is, is this word, uh, it's a Greek word. It's the only time it's used in the whole New Testament. This Greek word, anaphoneo, anaphoneo, A-N-A-P-H-O-N-E-O. It's a compound word, ana, meaning upward, okay? It's an upward exclamation. And uh, phoneo, meaning it's a shouting, it's a, it's a calling out loudly. We get the word phonograph, you know, from that. Um, so, uh, you know, in, in praise to God, you know, if it's a praise, an exultation, it's to be said or chanted upward in tone. If it's a lament or, you know, it's downward in tone. You know, woe is me, my soul. Mary, you're going to hear next week we're going to talk about Mary's song. My soul doth magnify the Lord. I mean, Mary, Elizabeth gives out this great cry. Uh, an upward exclamation, and it says she's filled with the Holy Spirit, so now she's prophesying, okay? And she says, blessed are you among women. Says this to Mary, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your room. Harken back, the words of the Hail Mary prayer. And, And so then she says, and why is this granted me that the mother of my Lord, she knows this baby is God that the mother of my Lord should come to me. So Elizabeth is filled with a, with, with a humble spirit that, that in her house is the Lord God in the womb of Mary, already there, already impregnated, already growing. Boom, wow. And she's so humble that she, she cries out in praise. And then she finishes and says, for behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. So Luke has in Elizabeth's very own words this exclamation of this baby leaping. That's John the Baptist, okay, in her womb. And this word leaped here is, is only used three times in the New Testament, okay? The word is skirtaho, uh, skirtaho, okay? Skirtaho, S-K-I-R-T-A-O, skirtaho. It's only used three times. It's used right here twice in Luke chapter one, as we just read. And then it's used again in Luke chapter six. 
And in Luke chapter 6, I want to read that for you. It's from Luke's version of the Beatitudes. And in Luke chapter 6, Luke uses it here, the same exact word. He says, when he's, when he's reading about the, you know, blessed are you when you hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you when you weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. So that last little beatitude there, that last blessing is the one where it's blessed are you when you're hated, ostracized, uh, you know, cast insults, spurned. I mean, that's the bad one, right? Um, nobody likes to feel that way. But he's saying, blessed are you then. And he says in verse 23, be glad, be glad. And it's the, and leap for joy. That's the same word in the Greek, skirtao. Leap for joy. It's, it's a huge exclamation, acknowledgement. John the Baptist could do nothing, in, even as an infant in the womb. Remember last week we learned, it said the Holy Spirit would sanctify John in the womb. Even in the womb, John the Baptist could do nothing else but to leap in exclamation of joy in the presence of his Savior, Jesus Christ the babe in Mary's womb. Guys, this is powerful, powerful stuff. Um, I, I hope that as we've studied today, I, I just hope that you're getting this sense of how the scripture comes alive when you really dig into what these words mean. You can read it over and over all your life and all of a sudden get new meaning out of it when you study it like this. This is my passion. This is what I started doing about five or six years ago, to study the Bible from its original context, from its original language, and from the original teachings of the earliest Christian teachers and follow those teachings throughout the years and see how they line up and see how they diverge. And then we have to make, when they, whenever Christian teachings diverge, we have to make a decision. Why is this diverging? What is truth? It can only be one truth. Um, well, I'm getting a little preachy at you. Sorry about that. Not really sorry, but you know, I know you, you didn't jump online to hear me preach at you. But I do want to encourage you today as we close. We always close with prayer, and I want to do that. And I want to keep remembering this, this time of pandemic. We're starting to hear, uh, you know, we're still inklings of the economy opening back up, states opening back up, and we're hearing voices say, that's a mistake, don't do that, don't do this. It's very hard to know what voices to follow. Um, but I know one voice I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm not going to live in fear of this pandemic. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to be prudent. And when things open back up, we can keep some distancing and we can do different things. I really, truly believe we are eventually going to be on the other side of it. It cannot be that we will never hug our friends again. That's antithetical to Christian being, okay? Greet one another with a holy kiss, as Scripture says. If we succumb to the fear that pushes us to the point where we are afraid to even be in the same room with a friend or we're afraid to be in the same room with with anyone, uh, or to, to hug them, then Satan is winning. He is winning big time. So let's don't, but let's don't be dumb. Let's be prudent. We understand the cautions that have been put in place, um, and we're following those cautions. So let's just, just have hope, though, and understand God is with us. Emmanuel, Jesus, God is with us. And, and so let me pray for you as we close this time together. Next week, we're going to look at Mary's song. I got a fun story to tell you next week about that song. It's called the Magnificat. 
I'll just tune in next week. It's it's a great. Well, I mean, it's funny to me. Uh, it's 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 a uh, it's a self-deprecating story about my interaction with that song many years ago in the Episcopal Church. So next week, come back and I'll, I'll tell that to you. Would you would you just would you just receive the blessing of Almighty God as we pray this morning? Receive the blessing of Almighty God, Heavenly Father. I'm just going to look you in the eye this morning. This is so important, Heavenly Father. This morning, as we have studied your word, we see and understand that you gave your only son, Jesus Christ, to our world in the form of a baby, born of a virgin, for the salvation of all. Thank you for that truth. Thank you for that power on display for all the world to see. And I pray that your power would be on display in our lives as we persevere through this pandemic. And I pray your mercy and your healing and your touch upon all who are suffering from it. And for all who are living in fear, your deliverance be upon them. Now would you be with us now through the babe born from Mary, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, your Son, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with me today. Well, that's all we have time for today. And I want to thank you again for listening in. I hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. While you're here, why not take a moment to add a comment or perhaps ask a question? You know, Forming the Spirit Within is a listener-supported ministry. And I really appreciate your feedback and your support. If you'd like more information on how to be a part of this ministry, you can find it online at bradreillyministries.org. Again, thanks for listening and spending the time with us today. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you as he forms his spirit within you.